This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. And we're going to turn to the book of Proverbs together. Proverbs chapter 3. And meditate on what it means to live a good and wise and full life. And I'm sure we all want to live a full and rich and prosperous life. Everyone is interested in that. And we live in a world where we are just pumped, constantly full of information. And especially those of you who have just graduated, you are just so full of facts and figures, I would not dare to insert a pin in you because information would just explode all over the place. But as we know, mere information, mere data, mere knowledge is not enough to live a truly good and wise and rich life. There are many stupid people with PhDs and probably many stupid people with MDs. And it's not enough just to have a degree, just to have facts at our fingertips. We need to learn what does it mean to live skillfully in God's world. We don't want you to go from Tbilisi to wherever God's calling you and make a complete hash of your life, to ruin it by a series of bad decisions and unfortunate mistakes. We want you guys to live well. We want you guys to live a life of wisdom. We have a children's book in our house that talks about what it means to live a virtuous life. And it's very beautiful and very simple. And it all comes down to two questions in that book. Question one, are the people around me happy that I'm here? That's a good question to ask yourself. Are the people around me happy that I'm here? Question two, am I myself happy that I'm here? Those are good, wise questions for children and for doctors. They're good, wise questions for all of us. And those are the kind of things that the book of Proverbs talks about. So let's turn to the ancient sage in the book of Proverbs. We're going to read 12 verses from Proverbs chapter 3, and you'll see those on the screen behind me. Proverbs 3 verses 1 to 12. Listen to the word of the Lord. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. The book of Proverbs is a wonderful curriculum for how to live skillfully in God's world. 
There are 31 chapters here filled with instruction on practical virtue. There's not very much about the temple or the church or about sacrifices in here, but there is a lot about living real life in the real world. It's a book of fathers instructing sons, of parents taking children who are about to become adults and explaining to them, this is how the world works. If you do these things, you're going to destroy your life and be miserable. But if you do these things, God will bless you and you will be happy and prosperous. That is a good message to hear. And so Proverbs is about the ordinary things of life, eating and drinking, working and sleeping, sowing and harvesting, buying and selling, laughing, speaking, listening. All those basic things about life. It turns out the word of God has a lot to say about that. But we have to be careful because Proverbs and the wisdom in the Bible, they're a lot more than a series of clever tips to get by in life. Ways that you can win friends and influence people and make a lot of money. It is about a lot more than that. Because in Proverbs, consequences come from choices, but choices come from character. Proverbs is all about being a good person. It's all about guarding the heart, because from your heart come the wellsprings of life. So this is not going to be a useful book and how to be sort of a sociopath who figures out how, how to manipulate people and get the most out of life. It's not that kind of book at all. The writer of Proverbs urges people, take these commandments and write them on the tablet of your heart. The heart for the Hebrews was everything inside of you, your mind, your will, your emotions. And everything that God is instructing you needs to be not just on the surface, just a veneer, but it needs to be tattooed on your internal person, deeply engraved on your heart so that these things actually become a part of who you are. And that takes time, doesn't it? That takes patient instruction. Proverbs is a get-rich-slowly scheme. It's about a long obedience in the same direction, year after year, patiently acquiring virtue and skill. And this wisdom is not a private, individualistic thing. Data and knowledge can be kept to yourself. But wisdom is not like that. Because you notice the two qualities that Solomon links so closely to wisdom. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Wisdom is deeply relational. And if you are not a person marked by steadfast love, if you are not a person whose primary attribute is faithfulness, you're not a wise person. You are foolish and you are stupid. Wisdom is relational. A wise person is very sensitive to their obligations to their family and the community around them. It's not just about how can I get the most for myself, but how can I be a blessing to those around me? How can I live so that the world is happy that I'm here? And that's how we want our graduates to go out in the world so the world blesses your presence 
and existence and your work in this world. Proverbs is not about the easy path. The father begins by warning his son against two kinds of evil people. There are evil men who entice you into violent pursuits for easy money. And there are evil women who try to seduce men into their beds for easy sex. Easy money and easy sex are not what wisdom is about. It's about steadfast love and faithfulness, covenant loyalty. Those are good qualities to have. And when you die, I hope in many, many years, I hope when people are standing around your graveside, they are thinking about your steadfast love and loyalty. Those are qualities worth having, and those are the qualities that will be celebrated and remembered. But of course, supremely, wisdom is relational in connection with God. And our steadfast love and our faithfulness supremely are connected to God. You are not a wise person unless your life is centered on the Lord. And I want to briefly talk about three ways in our text that you can build your life upon the Lord, that you can center your life upon him as you go from here. The first one is this, trust in the Lord's provision. Trust in the Lord's provision, verses five, verses five to eight. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Faith and trust are the foundation of everything. And God invites you to a life of complete dependence on him, of putting your entire weight without reserve on God's strong arms. Not to depend on yourself, not to give half your weight to God, but the other half to yourself. That's the path of foolishness. And do you know what? We are all tempted to try to figure things out on our own. And you, with your freshly minted degrees behind you, may be more tempted than the rest of us. You might be tempted to feel very impressed with your accomplishments, your smarts, and your brains, and to take some of your weight off of God and to put it on yourself and your own mind. And that is a foolish thing to do. A few weeks ago, on Good Friday... I got an email from Amazon, and I have a business. I earn most of my money from books that I'm selling on Amazon, old books by dead people. And I got a heart-stopping email from Amazon that they were shutting down my account because I had supposedly violated copyright on one of my books. And instantly with that email, 1,500 books vanished from Amazon, and 70% of our family's income disappeared. That is not an email you enjoy getting first thing in the morning. Actually, this whole story happened a year and a half ago. This was the second time that I'd been through this whole scenario. And here it was, of course, Easter weekend. I've got to preach some exhilarating message on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And my business that I've spent years building is lying in ruins around me. And man, God really used that time to test my heart. Do I believe that if Jesus has risen from the dead... Nothing else matters. Or is that just a slogan, some preacher's words that fly easily from my lips but don't really have a grip 
on my heart. And I had exerted myself enormously building up that business. I filled out the same form 1,500 times. And I have used all my cleverness and my insight and my ingenuity to create this business to support my family. But I couldn't account for everything. I couldn't control every fact and every aspect of reality. And it turned out this complaint had been made by the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. I had to track down this woman who, according to her LinkedIn profile, had started her job in 1979, the year I was born with this company. Some very old woman who I had to appeal to and throw myself on her mercy to admit that they had made this claim in error and rescind their complaint. But I realized again in that incident that me and my family are totally dependent on God. And what I thought I had built up myself over the years collapsed in a moment with a single email. And by God's grace, he restored that business, he gave it back, but I had to learn to just kneel before God with open hands and say, God, I trust you, whether you restore this business, and please, please do, or whether you don't, you are a good God and I can lean my weight on you. And God invites all of us to do the same. And he will bring up circumstances in your life where you're going to be tested. Am I really relying on myself, my cleverness, my discernment, my ideas, my knowledge, or am I leaning all of my weight upon God? And the word of God challenges you graduates and all of us to make prayer not a matter of last resort, but of first resort. For myself, prayer is often the very last thing I do when I've exhausted all other possibilities and drained my brain of all ideas I could do to solve this problem. Then, days later, I think, oh, perhaps, perhaps I should pray about this. But really, as men and women who trust in the Lord with all of our heart, that should be our first reaction to any crisis or any choice in our life. God, what is your will? What are you directing me to do? Your own cleverness may hold out for a long time. It may hold out for decades, but eventually it will fray and then it will snap and you will plunge into disaster. But the wisdom of God is not like that and we can depend on him wholeheartedly. There are no facts that escape God's attention, no scenarios that he has not imagined, no one who is too clever or too wise to defeat his plans. Now, if you were to read a little further on in this chapter, you would discover that God himself used wisdom and understanding and knowledge to create the earth and to separate the earth from the dry land and to cause the dew to come from the clouds. In other words, there is a divine order in creation. There is a way that God has shaped things and a wise person discovers and adapts themselves to reality. Foolish people resist reality. They refuse to accept the hard facts of this world and they try to bend those facts to suit their will. But the wise person adapts himself or herself to reality. And there is no reality greater in this world than the Lord God himself. 
And if you account for everything except for your creator, you are a foolish, foolish person. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That is something we can build our lives upon. And so because of all reality is God's reality, there's always a right and a wrong way to do things. There's a right way to bake bread and a wrong way to bake bread. And if you try doing it the wrong way, it will not work. And there is a right way to do open heart surgery, and I'm sure there is a wrong way to do open heart surgery. And in all those things we do in our lives, there is a way we can discover the shape of God's creation and follow along with it or resist it and break our fingernails against it. There is a grain to the universe just like there is to a piece of wood. And if you run your hand against the grain of the universe, you will get splinters and things will go badly with you. And that's what parents are called to teach their children. And that's what I hope our graduates are going out into the world beginning to realize. And therefore... We are called in all of our ways, in literally everything we do, to acknowledge God. Literally, the Hebrew is simply to know God. To have a sense of God's presence in everything we do, and to be in deep relationship with God. That is what we're called to do. We're called to seek God's will in everything we do. And here you guys are as graduates at this junction in your life. And some of you have a pretty clear idea of what's happening next. Some of you are desperately praying for God's direction. And it's not the last junction you're going to come to as you go through this world. There will be many more junctions. There will be many more choices. The good news is the choices get harder. They get more difficult and they involve more people. This is easy, what you're doing. Man, I wish I was back there, 24 years old. It gets more and more difficult. And so we need to be continually seeking the will of God because as it gets more difficult, the risks of failing become greater. And we so need God to tell us where to go. And he promises that when we seek his will, that when we know him, when we acknowledge him, when we account for God's gracious reality in our lives he will make your paths straight he will smooth out the way before you and make it clear the path that he's calling you to god promises to keep you on track it may not be easy but he will make it clear and he'll take you by the hand and lead you where you need to go so trust in the lord's provision that's number one Or trust in the Lord's guidance, I should say. Number two is honor the Lord's provision. Honor the Lord's provision. The ancient Israelites were called to give the first fruits of their harvest to God. When the time came to harvest, they would take the first bunches of grapes and sheaves of wheat, and they would take them to the temple and offer them to God. And man, that was an act of of faith, wasn't it? Because you're waiting for your food to come in for months and months, watching it grow. And here's the first bunch, and you don't know if a massive hailstorm is going to come or the floodwaters are going to rise and destroy everything. But you're taking what you have and in faith going to the temple and giving it to God. And I'm sure the temptation to withhold some of that for yourself must have been intense. Intense. 
but it was a way for the Israelites to honor God and say, God, all this comes from you. And the safest thing we could possibly do with our wealth and our produce is entrust it to you. Now, you're all pretty poor students right now, and it's hard for you to imagine being wealthy and having full bank accounts. But your income is probably going to increase. We pray it does, and that you are blessed with prosperity. But there's going to be the temptation to lean on your money just the same way we are tempted to lean on our understanding. Because money represents kind of an independent power that we have to impose our will on the world and to control our lives. When you have nothing, it's easy to trust God because that's the only thing you can do. But when you've got some money between your fingers, well, that simple trust in God you had when you were a student, that radical life of faith you were living, it's easy to leave, leave that behind and trust in your bank account instead of God. And you are called, as we are all called, to honor God with our money, to give it back to God as an expression of our trust in him. And it's a way that we say, God, we are worshiping you, not just with our words, not just with our theology, not just with our instruments and our sermons. Our worship is real because we are willing to take out our wallets and take money out of that wallet and offer it back to you. And it's painful to do that if you don't really believe that God is going to take care of you. But it is an expression of deep and real worship towards God. It's a way that we can center our lives on him. Your money can become an enslaving idol. It can become an enslaving idol and dehumanize you and shrink you down to someone who cares about nothing else but a set of numbers. It can be an enslaving idol or it can be a cheerful offering. Money doesn't have to be an evil thing in your life. It can be a blessing and a way that you bless and worship God. And the normal result of living this kind of life, Proverbs says, is plenty and prosperity. Barns filled with plenty and vats bursting with wine. That sounds like a really, really good life. I would like to have that. And I expect that God will take care of me and he will take care of you better than we can take care of ourselves, whatever that means. Now, we have to be careful, of course, with these verses. These are not the only verses in the Bible. Proverbs is not preaching some kind of ironclad formula for being a super wealthy person. We're not talking prosperity, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it kind of gospel. That's not what this is about. This is just the way things generally work in life. As a rule, people who get up early and work hard and save their money and are faithful to their spouses, generally speaking, those people do better in life than people who overeat and overdrink and sleep in and skip out on their jobs and get involved in quick rich schemes. Generally speaking, this is how life works in God's world. Generally speaking, but not always, as the book of Job would tell you, for example. Derek Kidner says that Proverbs is concerned to point out that what is right and what pays may travel a long distance together in God's world. 
The path of what is right and the path of prosperity may run together for a long time in God's world. But sometimes they part. And Proverbs is very clear what choice we should make when they part. Prosperity is great. Riches and honor are great. But character and righteousness are the true choice of the wise person. And so God invites you, honor me, honor my provision in your life as you go from this place. And you are going to have surprising stories of how God takes care of you. When my grandparents emigrated to Canada in the 1950s, they were given a large crate to put their possessions in. It was not a shipping container, which I don't think were even invented then, something quite a bit smaller. And they managed to squeeze all of their few possessions in this world into that crate to go over the Atlantic Ocean. But they couldn't fit their last chair in the crate. There were four people in the family, my grandparents, my father, and his sister, and they could only fit three chairs into the crate. A chair had to be left behind on the other side of the ocean. And when they arrived in Canada, they moved through quite a few houses before they were able to afford their own. And wouldn't you know it, in every single house they moved in, It was completely empty except for one chair. God was going ahead and just making sure that he was taking care of them. And they experienced and realized the goodness of God missing that chair in a way that they would not have if they'd been able to fit everything along with them. And I know you guys already have great stories of how God has taken care of you when you've trusted in him. And we're going to hear some testimonies later from a few of our students. But you are building up your testimony year after year after year. And by the grace of God, you're going to have your own stories to share with your grandchildren should God give them to you. So we have to trust in God's guidance, honor the Lord's provision, and finally accept the Lord's discipline. Accept the Lord's discipline. I wish things would always go well in your life and that your way would always be smooth and easy, that you'd always be rich and happy. But things don't always go well in this life. And the wise person, when things are going badly, asks himself or herself, is it possible that God is disciplining me? Is God trying to teach me something through this lack or this difficulty that I'm undergoing? I'm not saying that's true in 100% of circumstances. It's not. But we should be asking ourselves, is God trying to teach me something? And that's not our natural reaction, is it? Most of us have a very crabby reaction to the discipline of the Lord. We become sullen and sulky and we slam the door of our hearts against God and his fatherly discipline. And a lesson that could have been learned in 10 minutes becomes much more painful and much more lengthy than it needs to be. If only we'd quickly received and responded to the discipline of the Lord in our lives. And Proverbs reminds us that behind the discipline of the Lord, behind God allowing hard things to come into your life, is the heart of a father. Like a father disciplines his son. And when we make bad choices, when we make foolish mistakes, God doesn't say, oh well, I guess that's it then. 
They're headed down this path. God pursues us and he makes that bad path difficult to bring us back to his highway. And the discipline of God, painful as it is, is in fact, with the eyes of faith, evidence of God's fatherly love. Not just his love, but his delight in us. God loves you and he delights in you so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes to form you into the wise, happy, and prosperous person that he created you to be. He's not going to let you waste your life down some foolish path. He's going to grab you and bring you back. So, dear graduates and all of us, if you are trusting in the Lord's guidance, if you are honoring the Lord's provision, if you are accepting the Lord's discipline, you are cultivating the core of a wise and happy life. And Proverbs, of course, has much more to say to you than this, but that is the beginning of wisdom. And we are deeply thankful that you have spent a few years along your path with us. They have been good years, and your presence has blessed this church. And now you are leaving. You are headed somewhere else. And you and we are parting ways for a while, but I want to remind you that you are not walking alone. You're not walking alone because you are walking with Christ Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect human who models the truly wise life. The only son who did not need the discipline of his father. And Jesus is walking with you. He's walking before you. And he's given you his Holy Spirit so that his wisdom can become yours. So let's pray now and ask that God would fill you with wisdom and blessing as you go on your way. Father God, we thank you that you name us as your sons and your daughters, that you created us to be happy and wise and blessed in this world. And we thank you that our, the good life for us is at the heart of your plans. And we thank you that you choose to glorify yourself in the way that we live our life and the choices that we make. And so, Lord, we pray for a spirit of wisdom for these graduates and for all of us. Show them the way that they need to go. Give them the skill, the discretion, the discernment, the knowledge and insight they need to walk in it. And may their life be filled with blessing and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.